either need to take this website down and move and never speak of this again, <laughs> or I need to make this the most amazing, you know, thing that ever happened. I had two options then. And from that moment, like I never looked back and it was just nothing but like every single day of my life was like, what can I do to make this thing bigger? What can I do to make this thing better? That was a clip from today's guest, Joanna Angel. Joanna is a writer, actress, and director based in New York. She founded the website Burning Angel, which is credited for paving the way for the alt-porn genre, making it financially viable. She is now an ambassador for Liquid Death. This was a great conversation, and Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. But before we get into it, everyone, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. My name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today, we have a guest that I'm super psyched to have here, Joanne Angel. Joanne, welcome. Hello. Hi. How okay. are you doing? Thank I you. I am good. We are here in New York where you're not native to New York, but the New York New York State. Is that right? Oh, um, my, my big dirty secret um, that I always like hesitate to tell people, um, I grew up in... I grew up in New Jersey. <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I spent a lot of my uh, childhood, com- you know, I lived very, very close mm-hmm. to New York City, like right over the George Washington Bridge in Bergen County, which probably doesn't mean anything to you because why would you know anything about New Jersey? Um, and then I actually, uh, and and I, you know, I came into, into the city, um, all the time. You know, I went to shows here, like, you know, uh, every weekend I would just like take the bus and I don't know, do whatever a high school person could actually do in the city. Um, and, um, and then I, I went to Rutgers university in, uh, New Brunswick, which is also in New Jersey, but that's more like central Jersey. Um, and I still spent a fair amount of time in the city, but, uh, I guess I was like very in, in the like New Brunswick scene at that time. And then after college, I moved to Brooklyn. Um, so then finally for the first time after telling everyone I ever met, I was from New York, not really being <laughs> from New York. I finally actually lived in New York. <laughs> I'm not like... This might surprise you. I spent a lot of time in New Jersey. I, really? I, have, I, have I mean, New, New Jersey. Jersey's awesome. I, I, New Jersey's I awesome. I was just in New Jersey. Well, I was in New Jersey last night because I flew into Newark, but I was just in Jersey recently. We were playing a show in uh, Asbury Park. Oh, yeah. 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 I went yeah. to shows in Asbury all the time you okay. know, growing up. But, so, um, yeah, so then I lived in Brooklyn, and then I moved to L.A., so technically, when I moved to L.A., the place I lived before L.A. was Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. when people would say, oh, where are you from? I would say Brooklyn because it was the place I lived before that. Well, so then everyone get... would be like, you're from Brooklyn. And I'm like, well, but anyway, if now I live get... in Brooklyn again. If we're so, going to get real yeah. technical then, Brooklyn has been the place that you've lived in the least amount of time. You know what? <sighs> I guess I got to come clean on that. We're being honest here. I guess so. But Brooklyn is where I feel at home. Okay. And that is where I live now. This and podcast, I am never leaving now. This podcast about hard truth. Yes. Hard truth. Yes. I moved there. 
and then got taken away <laughs> by the porn industry <laughs> to Los Angeles. And now I'm back and I'm never, I'm, I'm never leaving. I'm going to live in Brooklyn for the rest of my life because I missed it the entire time. And something about it really feels like home. But no, I'm not from Brooklyn. And um, people who are actually born and raised in Brooklyn have a real strong like tie to it. And I <laughs> feel horrible when people try to relate with me on it because I think on my Wikipedia page it says, from Brooklyn. <laughs> and so all these Brooklyn people will be like, yeah, from Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm from the suburbs of New Jersey. Listen, you got you to gotta live your life. You got to live. Okay. Let's okay. Anyway, so that, that answers that question. Well, let's okay. get into it for the uninitiated. We're uh-huh. going to start with what is theoretically a simple question, but it's also a super hard question. Uh-huh. You can go anywhere you want. Uh-huh. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, God. I'm Joanna Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a brand ambassador lifestyle marketing something or other um for liquid death that is what i do um i also do a number of other things but uh, i suppose that's my main thing right now um uh i suppose i'm more uh known for (laughs) um being a uh, as I call, um, I called it a porn entrepreneur um, in the adult film industry, where I just spent uh, the last um, twenty years, and I am still uh, very much part of the um, adult industry, just not on the, in the same way I was before. Um, part of being on the brand ambassador team at Liquid Death is they take. Um, well-known people in a bunch of different industries um, and have them work for the brand. So um, anyway, I still have, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really, uh, yeah, I'm Joanna Angel. (laughs) (laughs) I work, I worked, I was a director and producer um, in the porn industry and I owned my own studio called Burning Angel for 20 years. Um, and now I am currently a brand ambassador or marketing um, something or other professional thirst murderer mm-hmm. for a liquid death. Uh, um, you left something out that I'm super interested in hearing about. Uh-huh. And maybe you left it on purpose. Uh, You're an author and a writer. I am an author and a writer. Um, and actually, my current writing gig, no matter what I do, I always like to have still be a writer no matter what. That really is has always been. Um, my passion in life. Um, uh, so right now I am like a, a freelance uh, staff writer for Loudwire, um, Loudwire online, Loudwire magazine. I don't. Do they still call it Loudwire magazine if it's only online? Whatever for Loudwire, the so. number one heavy metal um, website, okay. which is a really just a fun thing for me. Um, I guess why I left that out. I mean, yeah, I am an I'm a published author, but I'm not like currently like working on another book. So I guess you asked me like I was trying to answer like what I do right now. But yes. Let's talk about being actress, an author. Actress, porn entrepreneur, adult film star, best-selling author, thirst murderer is I- what's in my bio. I really like uh-huh. the thirst. We keep for anyone who doesn't know about Liquid Death, that is like part of their branding. But also, I just like the idea that maybe 
someone wouldn't know that and they'd be like god this person hates thirst yeah this, this person hates really thirst murder. and now suddenly i'm arrested for being a murderer i know i know well you're and also, under arrest for the murdering of thirst it's it's <laughs> weird like liquid death entered my life in the this is by the way not a liquid death ad but sticks word up we love you you're an awesome everything's person. a liquid death ad when you work on the brand ambassador team so well, well played well played <laughs> it's it's funny though like spencer who you've met and for anyone who can't uh, who doesn't know spencer um is a producer for our podcast Mm -hmm. This cat is like the most into being hydrated out of anyone I've ever met. He's wow. like constantly got like a wall of beverages behind him. I first heard about liquid death from him and it's like, it has somehow become a part of my life, this liquid yeah. death thing, but I'm stoked because it's cool. I love sticks. I think it's a cool company. And but, water is very important. You know, water is all right. I yeah. feel good about water. Yeah. But let's go back to you. Okay. okay. You end with being an author, but and correct me if I'm wrong, writing and, and, Writing and producing like uh, creative content is actually your first love. And it's, it's it's what I believe you were first interested in doing before you ever became a business leader. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, um, my I guess my blessing and my curse. I mean, um, I've yeah, I've always been um, a creative person and being a writer was always my passion like anybody who knew me like if you asked any of my friends that I grew up with I was they were like oh Joanna wants to be a writer yeah. that was like what I wanted to be um, when I grew up I took a lot of like even after school even in high school I would like take like I said I spent a lot of time in New York City growing up I I took like these writing classes after school when I was in high school I would like take the bus into like New York City and and take these like weird writing classes that I found like ads for just like posted on a on like a telephone pole um even in college I I, I mean my major was English but within my major I had a concentration of creative writing and like for fun I would take extra writing classes on top of that um just like you know writing workshops I did like I don't know, open mic nights and embarrassing things like that. When I was like really into poetry, um, I had like a little writing like zine for a hot minute. Um, I think most of my life I was writing things and trying to get people to care about it and nobody cared about it. Um, it was always like, um, uh, I was always, you know, being in the punk scene, like I would almost, I would be like envious because like, if your passion and your skill was like playing music, you could be like, hey, man, do you want to hear my new song? And anyone will listen to your song, you know. But if you're like, do you want to read my new short story? <laughs> like, it's real weird, you know. And I, I actually remember in high school, um, I tried. I was like, I do not want to be a writer. I want to be a musician that expresses themselves through music because that's much cooler than being a writer. And I took guitar lessons. Um, and I was like really in my head, imagined myself being this like badass chick that like wrote songs when they were in a bad mood. And I was so bad at it. And I was so, so, and I wanted to be good at it so badly. And I was not good at it. Even my guitar teacher was like, I don't know if this is for you. <laughs> So the person who gets paid money to teach you yeah, is like, no, no. Yeah, she was like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if this is your thing, you know. Um, so did but always the lyrics to the songs that I was writing, I would I was spending more time on than the chord progressions and the melodies, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, my passion was always um, writing. 
So writing, was it always a constant? So even as you were building your business and kind of like starting off your career, did you always stay writing or did it ever fall into the background? No, you know, I never let it fall into the background. I don't think I could let it. Um, a lot of people thought it did. I don't think most people realize because, you know, after a certain amount of time, after the business sort of fell into place and found itself, um, I spent a lot of time working on the scripts, which people like to laugh at me um, when you say that, oh, this is a script for porn. <laughs> is that, is that, is that your yeah. idiot voice? Is what? Yeah, is that's, that's my voice that, of everyone who says the same comment whenever I post like, working on a script right now, oh, this is a script in porn. <laughs> um, you know, so, but they, they really, I put my heart and soul into all those scripts and, um, Unlike Hollywood, you know, porn is a, is a quantity game more than it is a quality game. So you can't just be like a writer in Hollywood where you write one feature film and it's it's good for many, many years. Yeah. You know, you work on one project for a year straight. You have to write it. I mean, I, I don't work in Hollywood from what I know. You know, you have a very long time to do one thing and that one thing lives forever. Like in porn, you've got a couple weeks to finish something and then as soon as that project's done you have to start the next one and start the next one start the next one so um and then in addition to that so constantly working on a new script um which was a very big part of writing um uh and then even from the beginning I would always kind of put it out there um, I did a lot of like guest columnist writing for, you know, sex magazines. I, there was like a hot minute where I had a column for spin magazine doing like a, a sex column. I loved it. And I was like really upset when, um, it ended because the, uh, the guy who hired me wound up getting like fired. Um, he told me he left on his own, but I think he got fired, but whatever the person whose idea it was for me to work there to no longer work there. And then I got let go. <laughs> Um, way back. This is a very long time ago. Um, I always kind of just, you know, kept my foot in the writing, uh, world. Um, you know, so, so it never fell to the wayside, but it also never became my like real job. And, um, and that's okay. Um, it's very hard. Um, it was always my dream to, uh, uh, be creative for a living. And then when you actually become creative for a living, it's, it's very stressful, you know? Um, so I think I was just so like knee deep in like my ideas and my writing kind of being the focal point of my world and writing two books. Like, it's almost like, I think I got that out of my system and it's actually, very uh relaxing now to have a job where i'm not like stressed about um not having ideas because when you're the idea person um and you don't have an idea like there's really not uh much you can do so totally if so, that answers your question it totally answers yeah. my question so tell us about your two books my two books mm-hmm. um so i uh i wrote two books they are um choose your own adventure Um, erotic novels. Um, So they were uh, very challenging to do. Um, When I was, you know, it was a 
the publisher's idea, you know, that when I first, um, <clears throat> I actually, so I wrote a chapter for another adult film star, um, also Akira, she's like a very close friend of mine and a legend. Um, she, she, uh, had written a few books, um, I think at the time she had one published, but anyway, she was also working on this, like, um, what do you call it? Like a collaboration, like where she had a, a book where a lot of different adult film stars submitted a chapter to the book. And I knew that was kind of my, like, I'm like, this is like the moment I've been waiting for. Cause I have a feeling like if I can really kill it in this chapter, cause you know, a bunch, everybody else was submitting their pieces in there, but I was like hoping that my piece could stand out and the, um, and the publisher would maybe like notice me. Um, so I, I submitted a chapter to, uh, it was called Aserotica, you know, just a cute name, uh, play off her name. Anyway, um, I submitted a chapter in there and, um, and Asa also knew that I really wanted to write a book. Like it was actually starting to like drive me crazy. Like I was like, when am I going to write a book? You know, and I tried going the route of like putting together, you know, um, samples and sending it to agents. And of course, nobody got back to me. Um, and then if people did get back to me, they very much wanted me to write a book about my life in the porn industry, um, which I didn't want to do. Um, because I would tell them not for any particular reason. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I'm not, it, I was very much in the middle of my journey then. I'm like, there's no end to my story right now, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just, I didn't want to write a, a biography, you know, like, um, it, I, I wanted to write uh, fiction. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I wrote my piece for that. The public, I, I, you know, kind of annoyed Asa where I was like, tell them I really want to write a book, you know? And, and then, so between them really liking my piece and her kind of helping me, they did, uh, get in touch with me and they asked if I wanted to write a book. And so I said, yes. Um, and then the next week when I was in my meeting, I would, you know, they, they, uh, gave me this idea of choose your own erotica. And I actually really was like, that's, uh, I was very stressed and, um, <laughs> not into the idea at all. I was like, this is not at all what I thought was going to, and I came to the meeting with so many ideas of my own. And then they were basically like, no, we want you to do this. And I was like, of course, in my head, I was like, no, but I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't going to turn it, you know, it was my dream to yeah. get a book deal. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, and um, yeah, so there, but now I, I became like in love with it as I did it. And actually, I really loved the second one. I felt like the first one, I still was like, not really sure of what I was doing. Um, although I'm very proud of the book, but, uh, the second one, I was like, I really, I really like know and understand this, um, format now. And, um, I really like embraced it and had a little more fun with it. But, um, yeah, the first book is called night shift and it's about a girl that works overnight, um, at a little, uh, sex shop in Florida. Um, and then the second book is called club 42 and it's about a girl that works, uh, at a strip club on 42nd street in New York. Um, and, uh, it's really crazy because I spent like six months or so writing like a very in, in depth six months, yeah. um, where I like wrote every single day. Um, so it's, it's very strange when you write a book, it's like, it takes up your whole life, but like, it's not like being a musician where you're in the studio and you can post photos from it and you can like very vocally, 
or, or an actress who's working on a movie. It's very easy for the public to understand like, oh, she's like in Paris working on a film. And you can like, if you see little bits and pieces of what's going on on set, it's exciting. But I just feel like in a coffee shop writing. And then it's like when you finish the book, that was actually the most anticlimactic moment. I remember finishing my first book and I was like, okay, I'm done. And it's like, I remember sitting in a Starbucks and I was like, you know, like when you fit, when you're recording an album and you finish an, I mean, I've been there, you know, having friends who are musicians and everybody high fives each other and they'll go out for, for dinner and a producer and whoever, you know, on the other side of the glass will be like, good job, everyone. You know, when you finish a movie, same thing, everyone's that's a wrap, you know, great. Like I just like finished the most challenging thing I ever did in my life. And I was like, just close my laptop <laughs> and sent an email to my editor and basically said, okay, Okay, I'm done. Here's the file. <laughs> and like went on with my life the next day. <laughs> I was like, being a writer is so depressing. This is why all writers are fucked in the head. We don't, we have to go through all the like hardships that other creative people go through and get none of the reward. You and don't then get that end. like I was like, yeah, we did right. it. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's no like, I was like, well, I'm done. I guess tomorrow I'm going to go back to all the things I've been putting off because I've been writing this book and uh, that's what I'm gonna go do some chores next yeah I know I'm like well I guess I guess I'm done all right so anyway okay that's my well Well, and and the reason I want to hit on that is like (laughs) something I think is super cool about your story from what I know about your story is you wanted to be a writer and you are a writer right and you and you kept creating you found a way to bring that creative flame throughout everything that you've done but now you've had the the chance you've gotten to a position in your career where you're like, Oh, I actually can focus on this now. So I want to work our way back to that. Mm -hmm. Let's go all the way back to when you were aspiring to be a writer and you're this person who's like taking the train into the city. You're kind (laughs) of, you go to university, you're taking, you know, classes afterwards to focus on writing. How do you go from, I think I want to be a writer (laughs) to starting a a company that disrupts a longstanding industry that was kind of drenched in traditional tropes that were, not progressive. You created something that if I, I, and you can tell me, I don't think you woke up one day and said, I'm going to disrupt an industry and change this whole thing. Not at all. But you went from, I'm going to be a writer to starting this business that, that really changed a very big segment of business. So tell us. I'm going to cry. Thank you. Well, well, Um, tell, tell us what was the strike point? How did it start? Okay. How did it start? Um, All right. We're going to go way back. Um, First of all, I do remember um, when I was in high school taking some of these after school writing classes. Um, And you know what? I wish I remember the name of the teacher, but I don't remember the name of the teacher. I remember going to this writing workshop. It was called the Gotham Writers Workshop. It was in New York City. Um, And like I said, I found an ad for it on like a telephone pole. I was definitely the only person in high school in the class. I mean, everybody in the class was like in their 30s, probably like in New York, like trying to get writing jobs and agents and stuff. I don't know. And I remember the teacher like was very like, like, little girl like what are you doing here and of course me being in 
an obnoxious high school person was like, I know everything. I'm not a little girl, you know? And then I remember like, and he was like a published, um, poet actually what I really wanted to be. So you wanted, you wanted to be a poet. I wanted to be a poet actually before I, in high school and even some of college, I really like was obsessed with my horrible poetry. Um, and I remember like, like I was like, this guy is like my hero because he like was a full-time poet who probably lived in a very shitty apartment in New York and had to teach these shitty classes to supplement the income, whatever. But he had books you could buy at Barnes and Nobles full of poetry. And I remember I was like, I was like, I really, really like, how did you do it? Like, I would talk to him and like, you're my hero. Like, how, how can I do this when I grow up? And he was like, don't. Um, <laughs> and I was like, no, but this is what I want. And this is what I love. And everything I do from here on out, I want to just like be a step towards me having a book of poetry in Barnes Nobles like you. Um, and he said, well, the best way to be a writer is not to focus on writing at all. It's to focus on living because writing is living. And the more life experience you have, the more that you'll be able to write about. So don't like not go to college. Don't like, don't like uh, quit your life to go like you know, because I also, too, in high school was, like, obsessed with, like, Jack Kerouac and all the, like, beat writers who basically just quit everything in their lives, like, go on the road and do drugs and write. And I was like, that's what I want to do, too. And he was kind of like, I mean, even though my dad would have never allowed that, but, like, I pretended I, like, you know, didn't have to listen to anything my parents said, but whatever. But I but I kind of had to. Right. Um, anyway, but he said, like, don't stop everything in your life, you know, to be a writer. That's not what being a writer is. You know, you need to learn and gain experience and, and see things and meet people. And that's what will make you a good writer more than anything. And I, I mean, it's like been like, I don't know, 700 years later, I still remember that statement. And, um, and I remember I looked at everything very differently after that, like, as opposed to just like sitting down and trying to be like obsessed with my own kind of narcissistic thoughts you know getting like because writing can be like that where you're totally. just writing about your feelings and your mm -hmm. depression and this and that i i was like i don't know I, and as opposed to being like like you know i was in high school i was you know depressed whatever um as opposed to being like hating the world coming from that point of view like i hate everyone i hate people i hate the world i i kind of was like people are funny and quirky and interesting and fascinating. And, and it made me want to like get to know more about the world and more about people because it was all more like material for me to write. So I, and then, you know, obviously I started kind of growing up. I mean, I'm, we're literally going back to me being yeah. in high school. And I really respect that because every person who wants to interview me is like, how did you get in the porn industry? And doesn't really want to think about the person I was before that. Um, and um, so I think from that point forward, for better or for worse, I just put myself in any ridiculous situation. I became the very like the yes man to any friend, like whatever it was, like if anyone had just like a ridiculous suggestion, I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. Because everything was just like an experience. And so everything was going to funnel up to writing. 
and like getting yeah, back in their experience. Yeah. And, and I just kind of became a person who was like willing to pretty much do anything and everything, whether that was a drug, mm -hmm. go to a party I didn't want to go to, or I, I don't know. Everything was just another like experience, you know, and I enjoyed, um, yeah, yeah. I'm real interested mm -hmm. in this because at the same, there's two this things is that- so not where I thought this interview was well, going to go. Because there's two yeah. things that are attached to that. Uh -huh. One is you also stayed on track and did serious school, like real deal, like actual like school. So you right. went out and had like the whole lifestyle. And like you're just like, I'll say yes, I'll try all these different things because you're trying to feed up into, I need the experiences. I need to really live to be able to really write. Yeah. And you still did school and you also came up in the punk scene. Yes, yes. So before we go in, <laughs> they all kind of happen simultaneously. Yeah, like, let's you know? talk about like your entry into punk and how that kind of fed into this as well. Yeah. Um, entry into punk. I mean, aren't you like kind of just born punk if you're punk? But well, yeah, think, yeah. I but then you have attitude, to enter. But who yeah. gave you your first record? Who what was your first right. show? How did you get into it? Yeah. And look, I, I was uh, the oldest in my family. So I didn't have like a cool older brother or older sister to like introduce me to things. Um, um, and you know, back in the day, we're talking like, you know, 30 years ago, it's like you of, had to find out about it. Yes, it wasn't, that's what I know. yeah, you, you had to really search. Yeah. And, and as a girl growing up in a <laughs> upper middle-class neighborhood in New, in New Jersey, <laughs> it wasn't easy to do. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the world was like, all right, you can just be a really nice girl. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, I don't want to be a nice girl. <laughs> um, um, okay, so I'm going to say like dating. I mean, when I was really young, like we want to talk about when I was like 10 years old. I remember this This was actually when my family first moved to New Jersey from, from uh, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad, oh my God, I am telling my whole life story here. Um, my dad got a, a, a very big exciting new job you know he went for, we went from being like a you know a more working class family in Lowell Massachusetts I don't think I've ever said where I actually grew up before so I grew up in Lowell Massachusetts I lived there till I was 10 mm -hmm. and then my dad you know was still in school and fin whatever mm -hmm. um and then he we we wound up moving to New Jersey which at the time I didn't realize oh this is because my dad like now got like a really good job I, I was like all right we're moving to New Jersey anyway Part of the reason I say this is because when we moved to New Jersey, we got to have something that I didn't have in Lowell, Massachusetts, and that was cable TV, <laughs> something we couldn't afford when I was younger. Which was a big deal back a then. Big a deal. huge deal. And I, so I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. We moved to New Jersey, and I just remember, and I had a TV in my room. That was a really big deal. Oh, so something you were fancy. I never had. You were a very fancy, fancy. person. Yeah. And I remember discovering MTV. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I would not stop watching it. And, you know, moving to New Jersey, I left all my friends in Massachusetts. It was kind of, you know, you're 10 years old, you're awkward, you don't like really know who you are. I would like watch MTV all day. And like, I know everybody's going to watch this and think lame, but like MTV in what year I'm talking about 1990 was like super cool. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. And I remember watching um like Beavis and Butthead and mm -hmm. you'd see all the weird videos on Beavis and Butthead and I was just like drawn to them. And I would remember the names of the videos that Beavis and Butthead would more like make fun of because there were always punk videos yeah, on there. Right. They loved all the metal stuff, but then they like, they would make fun of like when like a punk band would come on or The Cure or like, you know, they'd be like, what the hell is this? And like, I would remember the names of the videos. I would like write them down 
around and then I go to Sam Goody and I would just like look them up, you know, it's kind of when I just first started realizing I was into like music that wasn't on the radio. Yeah. I think that was like the earliest that it started, um, you know, and going, having the resource of going into New York city, I would literally in, in high school go to find record stores. You know, I, I just got into like things that were weird, but people, you know, but were still like, not that hard to find out about, you yeah. know, I started watching 120 minutes, you know, um, I would watch Henbangers ball. Um, I don't know, just, I, I would just get like really excited. And I was really, and that was sort of the tail end of the hair metal scene. And I would get like so excited and put on like lipstick and tease my hair and like rock out in my room to like Motley Crue videos and stuff like that. Um, anyway, yeah, I started kind of just like, um, getting into music in general. Um, so that's sort of like the beginning, the beginning. And then it sort of parlayed into being like kind of goth, you know, but I, don't, I was so young, you know, the, I didn't have a scene yeah. to do these things in. It was just like me alone in my room going to tower records and having my dad drop me off there. Or if I ever could, you know, once they became like 14, 15, like going into like going into the city, going to like what was, what was it called? It was like Kim's. It was like a record store that I would always go to. I don't know. I was just kind of finding, I became really obsessed with like Nine Inch Nails. That was probably the first like band I started to like neurotically just like get obsessed with and want to know everything about. I had Trent Reznor poster in my room. You know, and I started to get into like Nirvana, which I think really like admittedly, I loved everything Nirvana was about more than I actually liked the Nirvana music, I think. I don't know. Got into all the Riot Girl stuff because from Nirvana I learned about Hole and then I started, I don't know, whatever. I was just kind of discovering um, music. And then, you know, I was just kind of like weird, you know, like I didn't, there was no scene for me to align my weirdness with. Um, I was just wearing black nail polish and like, I don't know, just buying, you know, ripped up t-shirts and whatever I could kind of just get my hands on to like show the world. I was kind of weird. Um, God, who, where, who like actually broke me in? Well, I'm um, gonna, I, I want to hit on something because like mm -hmm. thematically I'm seeing something that's similar to your writing, which is like you're a young person, you're into writing, you're into creativity and you are finding classes to take on your own. You're finding yeah. classes in the city. You're doing it. Same with music. It's like, nobody was giving it to you. You're, you're like literally taking notes, which yeah. is, I have to say <laughs> that is like, I had a notebook when I was a kid yeah. where I was like, Oh, like that, that band or well, that you remember record. They'd only say the name of the band at the end of the video, totally. like really quickly. You know, I, I had notes that I would carry that if I went to my friend's house and I heard something, I'd write it down because it's, I hate to say this because for anyone who's who's young who's grew up with the internet, they're gonna have no idea what we're talking this, about. Yeah, this was like part of the hunt was yeah, finding out about bands. I know, Spencer, you do not know what we're talking about. But thematically, what I'm seeing something is like, if you had an intellectual curiosity or creative curiosity, you didn't wait for someone to serve it up to you on a platter. You went out and found it on your own, and you were very comfortable just doing it on your own. Like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go find that. So there's like a strong, independent kind of like self-discovery self streak in all of your creative uh, outlets. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how'd you get your first show? Um, okay. I'm trying to think of where I actually... Um, who broke me in? I, there was like a few key people. Um, you know, uh, the, I would go to, um, <laughs> the mall being in New Jersey and oh, like yeah. in front of like the mall, there were all these like 
punks and goth that hung out there. And, you know, I'd be going to the mall with my mom and I would just kind of look at everyone and be like, wow, I wish I could like hang out with these people. Like, you know, and then I just remember one day I told my, you know, as opposed to like going to the mall with my mom, I was like, mom, can you drop me off at the mall? And um, respect. It's the move. Yeah. yeah. And I walked around and I just kind of like hung out near the punk rockers at the mall, like kind of waiting for someone to like talk to me. And one girl started talking to me, you know, and I just remember being like, what, like, what's going on here? Uh, also, like, I knew that punk, like, existed, because at that time, I do remember very recently, um, at that time, seeing uh, Rancid on 120 Minutes, and I was like a life-changing moment. Oh, I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay, and then I just went and, like, you know, got whatever Rancid CD, you know, I could find, which at the time was, can I, can yeah. I speak on Rancid for a second? Mm -hmm. The importance of Rancid, I think culturally everyone understands the importance of Rancid, but like legit punks, like actual punks who were in a massively popular band that sold like, I believe like multi-platinum records and still stayed totally punk. I know. Yeah. I mean, I found out about them on MTV, but where else was I going to find out about anything at that time? You know, you, you know, the New York band sick of it all. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, not everyone, not everyone I'm not a poser. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were in the first Burning Angel movie. Did you know that? Not I did fucking not, not having I, I entered. Yeah. Anyway, they're, they're hanging out. They're okay. being interviewed. Okay. So if I go to sick of it all, when they put out um, blood, sweat, and no tears, mm -hmm. they got shit on because they're like records were going to be in major chain stores. Right. And people are like, you guys are sellouts, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, wait, How, like, if, yeah. if this music is all about like changing people's minds, giving them alternative points of they view. They need what, to find it. Right. And there's this yeah. like super amazing radio, like college radio interview between Sick of It All and this other band called uh, Leave Them Out of It. I don't want to okay. make anyone look bad, but they had this like incredible argument about like you guys have like barcodes on your records your sellouts and like what are you talking about yeah they're like people can find them well yeah and then we flash forward to something like ranted where it's like yeah these are straight up these guys are probably more punk than they were than when they're young they've put out these things that impacted me impacted you impacted yeah. everyone because they were willing to forge a path of how to how to still be punk and do real deal business yeah um exactly so yeah after that i remember being like understanding like there is a difference between what I just, you know, this rancid music video and all the nine inch nails, you know, and the, the, the kind of weird grunge sub pop, you know, whatever stuff that I like, I don't know. I remember I met this one girl at the mall and uh, I got her number and then she asked me, um, if I wanted to go to a punk show and I had to pretend that I always already was going to them and was like, Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to go to that one anyway. <laughs> and, um, but, but remind me the address again. <laughs> and, um, uh, I can't, did my, no, my, I wouldn't have my parents drop me off. I, I wound up becoming friends with, someone else who said they were going to this same show and like their parents like dropped us off. And I remember it was in this kid's backyard. His name was Craig. You know, his name was Craig. Shout out um, to Craig. Yeah, shout out to Craig. 
I actually remember the name of Craig's band. What was Craig's band? Oh my God. The band was called Example 24. If you guys are out there. Example 24. Changed my life. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Example um, 24. That sounds like a low key straight edge reference. Right? I, I mean, okay. Yeah, okay, it's okay. definitely not straight edge. Um, and uh, I remember it was Craig's backyard. He oh. had shows there. And, um, and I remember going there and it was just like, this is, you know, Northern New Jersey, just like everyone spiky mohawks like jackets with you know patches and and paint on them you know like like i was i had never seen anything like that before i was like oh my god this is like we're all the weirdos like commute and hang out and go you know yeah, like yeah. like i said i was like a wandering lone weirdo you know <laughs> so you found your people yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, I stayed in a corner by myself most of the night, but I felt very comfortable there, more comfortable than when people actually spoke to me. And um, and then I actually remember at that show, like, like uh, there was a um, the casualties played. Hell yeah! And I was like, whoa, because it was almost like when, like, you know. Craig's band was playing, you know, there was like a handful of people, you know, jumping around and whatever. But then when the, the casualties played and it was almost like people were like, oh, they're here, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, like the celebrities have arrived. And I was like, who are these people? And that was when suddenly like, like it went from like the, the typical mall people that I had seen to like very, very like, like people that looked like they walked out of the rancid music video, yeah. very, very high perfectly pink mohawks and liberty spikes and you know um you know whatever anyway and i just remember like seeing everybody dance and sing along and like you know this is like a little shitty stage in a backyard and people grabbing the microphone and pallet piling on each other and yelling the words and i was just like i mean i i fell in love with the with the punk scene you know it was a I was like, this is, this is where I want to be, you know? Totally. And that, what you just uh -huh. said though, it's just like, it's just some shitty stage in Northern New Jersey. I, mean, I don't even think it was a stage. You know, well, it was like a. This is the power of people just saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this band. I'm going to do this in my backyard. You're talking to me like about this, like this was like Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And you, saw... it, and you know what? I've been to shows in Madison Square Garden and nothing will ever like right. touch me the way that 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 felt, you know, the energy was unmatchable, right. you know? Well, and the reason I want to touch on this and why I think it's so important to your story, but also to a lot of, um, the idea of business and leadership is the idea of like, Hey, like it all starts with someone just willing to be like, Oh, I'm going to do that thing and doing it and kind of figuring it out. And sometimes it's going to suck and nobody's going to care. Other times it's <laughs> going to rule and nobody's going to care, but other times it's going to rule and it's going to change people's lives. And it all starts with people just saying, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do this thing. So with that, you know, it does I mean, start from that. Yeah. Another reason I really hated living in Los Angeles because it's very much a city where people talk about things and not much of a city where people actually do the things they talk about. And it drove me insane because ever since I was a little girl, every single thing I said I was going to do, I would actively go and do yeah so well it's that new jersey in you <laughs> <laughs> so you can we... take the girl out of jersey but you can't take the jersey out of the girl. 
Respect. That's what they say. I got, I, got, I got love for Jersey. All right. So with that in mind, that idea of someone just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do this improbable thing. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Tell us about starting Burning Angel. Oh, fast forward till way later. Um, okay. So I'm, uh, I was in my last ish year of college. Um, I was, uh, very active, you know, in, in my creative writing class. Um, I lived in a house with like six other dudes, um, kind of like a punk ish house. We had shows in the basement sometimes. Um, and you know, it it was like a scary moment in life because my whole life had been building up to like, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to be a badass. Like I'm not going to do what everybody else does. I don't want to like sit behind a desk and be a normal person. I'm going to be whatever you know literally since I was young it was like a promise to myself that I did not want to be part of normal society but when you're in your last year of college it's time to like put your money where your mouth is like you know you have to be like well what am I really gonna do you know because this like bubble of being in college is about to burst and I'm very grateful and thankful for my parents who did you know, they didn't spoil me, but they gave me financially, you know, a little financial cushion of, you know, paying my $300 a month rent and, you know, giving me money for groceries and stuff and where my money that I made it, you know, working at Applebee's, um, just got to go to like cigarettes and I, I don't know, um, excess the, the things youth, I couldn't put up my parents. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, my dad being a, like, he was a good father, you know, he was like, well, Joanna, um, you're going to have to, going to have to cut you off. <laughs> like, like, you, eventually you need to pay your own rent, like, really soon, you know? And I was just, I was almost like, what am I going to do when I grow up? You know, uh, like, like, suddenly, like, reality was starting to to kick in um this you know it was time to actually like make the dreams happen um and so i wasn't really sure uh what the hell i was doing um however also at that time i was starting to like um i started to write a lot about sex um a strange and uncomfortable topic for me at the time um and, you know, this was a different time. There was this was way before Sex in the City where, it was, you know, and being in that punk rock group, like all my friends were dudes. I didn't have this like cool group of girlfriends where I could like ask questions and and talk about things, you know, and as progressive as the punk scene was like mm-hmm. your sexuality was almost like, you know, like you devoted that energy to like changing the world and being mad at the government and like, you know, and going to protests and and whatever. But like talking about like you know, sex and sexuality, it was very like, not, uh, not okay, you know, um, and not accepted and it wasn't supposed to be, but of course, you know, I was growing up and, and so, you know, and going through relationships and heartbreak and, you know, and having to deal with, you know, sleeping with people that really didn't want to speak to you afterwards and how to deal with those emotions, but supposed to also be this person that was supposed to act like they didn't care. And I don't know, I was kind of exploring myself and I didn't have anyone to like really talk about it with because I was like the cool girl in my group of dude friends. Anyway. Um, uh, so I'd write about it a lot in my writing class. Um, 
And then I started to actually make my sex like writing kind of like humorous, you know, because I it was like a, a source of of uh, stress in my life yeah. uh, um, and confusion, which makes for good writing, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, I would I would come home and read my roommates, my weird sex stories for my writing class. Um, I don't, I don't know why I did that, but I did. Um, and, and you know, my roommate was also my very best friend. We became very close. Um, you know, we actually, we, we had been roommates through a, a few different houses. I don't know. We just developed a very good, like boy and girl friendship, you know? Um, I, I don't, I don't know what it was from the moment we met it kind of felt like we were related or something. It wasn't like a sexual thing. It just felt like a person I was comfortable around. Anyway, um, he was, of course, really into porn because he was a dude. Um, and um, He was a young man. A young man. And um, I don't know. And I was always sharing with him my weird stories. He also was kind of like my best friend that would like talk me through all these like problems I had with like dudes, you know, and like give me advice from a dude's point of view. And um, I don't know. Uh, he said that we should start a porn site. Um, I don't know. I think he was kind of like, it's so hard to remember like what happened in what order, like talking about things that happened so long ago. Um, in my last year of college, you were able to choose to get, you know, do like a, like an internship for college credit. And I wound up getting an internship at a magazine called nerve magazine. And it was like a very like sex positive, um, uh, magazine um it was almost like a sex nerd type thing and they had very like uh artsy ish like photography nude photography a lot of like funny dating columns and and they were actually like the first um because nerve.com was like just the online magazine which is what i was particularly interested in i would i started to like read it when i could um and um uh, they wound up kind of being the first like dating site because they had like a dating profile thing, which when I started to intern there, I realized was actually like what was the the money in the company. Anyway, I started interning also for Nerve magazine and I would go into the city like once or twice a week and just kind of help work on things there. So I was just kind of like learning a lot about this bizarre world of sex on kind of a intellectual level which doesn't really make any sense um it makes perfect sense when you're talking about your story though yeah. right like it's like intellectual curiosity you'd go out independently and I find and it yeah it. so when um, the idea came up to start the to start a website was it like you know and like oh we should start a zine or we should start a band or was it like hey here's a business idea no it was exactly like what you said yeah. it, it felt very much like we were talking about starting a zine or starting a band yeah. or you know um, and that was that. And then I was like, yeah, let's do it. I didn't even think twice about it. Um, I was just like, yeah. And like I said, from that moment in high school, I was down for any ridiculous adventure, you know? Um, and especially at that time, I started to like enjoy writing about sex and the trials and tribulations and, and, you know, things that were involved in it. And so, I said, yeah, let's do it. And um, from that point on, we had to figure out how exactly to do it. Um, I mean, we wound up launching uh, April 20th, 2002. Um, you know, it was a good six, seven months from the first moment we had this conversation until the website actually went up. 
Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just said, yeah, let's do it. And as I said, being my personality was like the minute I say, I'm going to do something, I just figure out exactly how to do it. And I do it. So just from that point on, I was like, okay. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, what do we have to do to start a porn site? And like, he kind of, you know, took his side of things and I took my, you know, and we both just sort of like, we just figured it out. You know, um, it was, it was very complicated, um, from, yeah, figuring out how to put it all together. And it was very stressful too. Um, so throughout this process, we were just like so ecstatic when something we tried to figure out actually happened, you know, like, like we, he had like a friend or a friend of a friend that was like a programmer and they were actually, it was actually a friend that worked at a, like a merch you know, one of those like merch companies for bands. So he built websites, you know, it was like the first like website where you could like order merch online. It was like game changing for the people in bands, you know, because this before that people could only sell merch at their shows, you know? And so we had, we were friends with somebody who worked for like the first and what I thought, like the only like kind of merch website for bands. And so he, was like, yeah, sure, I can help with this. But he wasn't, it wasn't like we hired him, you know? Like, he was just like, all right, let me see if I can do this. And then there was like a friend of his wound up helping him because he realized it was a little more complicated than he thought. And then he told us, oh, you need to have a billing company. And then you, you know, I was like, oh, okay. Like things you just don't know. We didn't know how you make a credit card, like a peer, like except that, I mean, you know, me and Mitch sort of divided it, it just like from that point on, it's almost like our business partnership was forming where I was kind of trying to like um, figure out like the more creative things. And he was like working on like how to get like bank approval and how to like he was like working very much with the programmers and like programmer, you know, the friends yeah. who were doing us a favor. <laughs> totally, totally. You know? <laughs> can, I, can I give, a, can I give a, like a something I, I bounce against it? This is like as you're telling me this, it's like anyone listening who has ever started a record label mm-hmm. is like, Oh, I want to put out, I like this band. I'm going to put out the record. The band says, awesome. That's great. And the person goes, yeah. So like, what do I do? Yeah, exactly. And, and then you're like it talking very to friends. Who's like, my designer friend who could do the layout? Right. Like, Oh, I need someone to master a record. Yeah, I'm like, like, Oh, it has to be distributed, distributed somewhere. Right? Yeah. Things you don't know. They just, these are things you take for granted. So um, you enter, you enter though, like an old school. And the reason I brought up the, the record label is like, if we think of something like discord, it's like, okay, music industry, like obviously classic, huge, like forever in this huge industry. Some kids in DC were just like, let's just put out a record right? and they figure it out. Your version of that is we've got this adult industry that's like old school. It's drenched in traditionalism. It's all this. And you don't say there's no, Oh, we can't do this. It's just like, Oh, of course we can do it. Let's just figure it out. Yeah. And I knew nothing about the porn industry, nothing at all. And he knew nothing about the porn industry other than being a fan of it. Um, We did not know. And this was before Twitter. This was before even MySpace or Facebook or anything. There was not this like, very easily accessible world where you could figure out anything and everything about porn stars. So yeah, I started working on whatever I could, you know, like I was trying to help with like finding girls who would actually do it. Um, uh, trying to, in my own way, like style and whatever the photo shoots we did, there was no video either. We were just trying, we were just, just trying to find 
naked photos yeah. of girls, which is so crazy that back mm-hmm. then it was like such a big deal. I feel like everyone is naked on the internet now. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, kind of putting together these like creative aspects of the shoot also very much like, like almost like trying to make like a weird, like marketing plan, you know, trying to like work with the person making the logo on what the logo should work with. Um, I also, because it was my thing, you know, decided that we should have like a section on the website for writing, you know? So I was like working on my own, like, like this was my big thing, like my figuring out like which of my stories for my creative writing class were going to be on the launch of the website. We also, from the beginning decided there should be band interviews in addition to like naked pictures of girls. Um, so I was trying to find bands to interview and like coordinate those interviews and like, I, I don't know. It's, and it, yeah, I, I mean, I was just kind of trying to figure out whatever I could do that had to do with like the marketing and the brand, even though I didn't even really know what those terms were at that time. And then I remember trying to find girls to do it, which at the time, like, how did I even like, can you just imagine somebody's like walking around a college campus with a digital camera that they borrowed from like a friend of a friend's mom living in a house with like eight guys? Like if anybody approaches you like this, like say no, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, do you want to be on my porn site that wasn't up <laughs> and really didn't pay a lot of money? <laughs> money I made at Applebee's like like it was the I had so much excitement and confidence about that nowhere did it even cross my mind that I sounded like the sketchiest person on the planet um you know and I tried just like asking like like basically the most like promiscuous friends that I had and they would be like no and I was like I can't believe that they like have sex with everyone and they don't want to be like naked on this website and you know and then I um just kind of going through friends and friends of friends. And it, I started to feel weird because I originally had no intention of being on the website, not because I had anything against it. I didn't think of myself as a hot girl. I was like, who, no one would want to see me naked, you know, like, like I didn't even think about it, you know? And then after like asking girl after girl after girl to be on it and them saying no, And then I actually remember one girl was like, well, did you do it? And I remember feeling very like hypocritical that I said no. I'm like, how could I ask girls to do something that I haven't done myself? So then I remember actually going to Mitch and being like, I want to be on the website. He was like, what? You know, because we had this very like brother sister like relationship, you know, and I, I mean, this is like a guy that like, I don't know, in a weird way, like, helped me grow up. Like, I remember the first time I was like, he was there when I, like, lost my virginity. Kind of like, 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 Joanna, go for it. You know, when I met someone, you know, I met Mitch when I was 18. I lost my virginity at 19, which is pretty crazy. It's very old. Um, um, Anyway, you know, and so this was like, he, our relationship was not like, you're a hot girl. You know what I mean? I was almost like his dude friend, you know, or like, like his awkward little sister or something. Anyway, um, I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to be on the website. I was like, it's really hypocritical um, of me like asking girls. And I was like, whatever, I'll just like be on it when we launch. And then like, I don't have to be on it. You know, just kind of like to get the ball rolling. 
Um, and he was like, okay. So it's very funny when people are like, Joanna, what was like, how did you get into porn? What was your first shoot like? I'm like, my first shoot was Mitch taking this digital camera that <laughs> came from a friend of a friend's mom <laughs> going into my bedroom in the house that we lived in while a million other things are going on in the house, you know? And he was like, all right, I guess I'm going to take these pictures. And we were like, yeah. And, and then like, I was like putting on lipstick, trying to like look through whatever, whatever I had. I actually remember from my, cause I was interning at nerve at that time. I do remember being in the city and I stopped at some like fancy looking like lingerie store and bought like one cute thing. I didn't own any pretty one. I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to wear for my photo shoot. And, um, yeah, and that was my first shoot. He just we just went in the room, did the thing, and, uh, and then that was that. And then um, I looked at the pictures, and I was I I I liked it. Um, so, I had so fun. Anyway. Just like Burning Angel started, essentially like two friends being like, "Oh, let's just do this." And your first output, like creative output, was in a bedroom. We could juxtapose that to Amazon starting in someone's parents' garage, right? Or was it in uh, Apple start in like a garage a or Apple something? Apple started yeah. in a garage. <laughs> I think. I think. Uh, I think Amazon started in a garage as well. Yeah. Um, again, getting to this idea that like industry disrupting businesses, things that like really change the world. When people are like, "Oh, but we got to do this or that," so, when people ask me for business advice, one of the things they say is like, "Don't look like don't look at competitors. Like don't try and like." build a business model off what other people are doing, just start, just start your thing and you will figure it out as you go along. And either your thing is going to be terrible and fail or it yeah. will be awesome and no one will care. Cause you don't have any on. data until right. you start. You Once you have data, start. you can work with that data. All right. You know? So let's talk about data. Cause I love just the like, Hey, like we are just figuring it out. Cause that's, that's the story. Yeah. But when, from when the day it launched, from when the data launched, did you realize, oh no, this is an actual business rather than just our fun thing we're doing? Yes. Uh, and this is a story I have told in, in a few other places. Um, uh, the day it launched, April 20th, 2002, and this was after six, seven months of like trying to find this and trying to find that and trying to get, you know, like, like a very difficult bumpy road of this actually being up. Yeah. Um, and it was up and I was so proud, you know, I was so proud and kind of forgot that this was porn. Like, you know, like this is a thing that, that like offends people, but that was just so like pushed. It's like, I forgot, you know, anyway, April 20th, 2002, there was a big party at my house. Like I said, I lived in a house with like eight dudes and there was a show going on in the basement that day. I was not the one that like put on the shows. My roommate, he was the one who, um, would get like bands, you know, he, it was like his thing. He actually went on later in life to like put on very big shows and places, whatever. Um, so the party was not like a launch party for burning angel. Like one, you know, they were just both coincidentally happening, um, on the same day at the same time. Um, and we had actually hi hired, somebody went to a big, punk show a surf and skate fest actually in asbury park um i remember like we made like flyers for burning angel and somebody went um to surf and skate fest and handed out the flyers that was our that was our big promotional launch these orange flyers i still have some of them um and they basically said band interviews um articles because i guess i had other like sex articles. it said band interviews articles dot 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 and naked girls and there was like a weird like kind of 
discolored-ish like picture of me. Anyway, um, and they were just handed out at this festival. Anyway, so that was going on in Asbury Park. While I'm in New Brunswick, you know, at a party, um, and there was a show in my basement, and I actually remember very well uh, that uh, uh, a band, uh, there was a band playing that, and she had, they had a female uh, singer, and she actually did sing a lot about, like, you know, abuse and, you know, whatever. This was like a, you know, that was... You know, and it was very like always very inspiring. You know, every time I, I was a fan of this band, um, and uh, and her uh, uh, strength to always kind of talk about her, you know, her trauma in the in their music. You know, I thought it was beautiful. Anyway, they were playing, and before she went on on stage, before she walked to the microphone in my basement or whatever, before they started playing, she was like. Uh, said a whole uh, speech about porn and violence and violence towards women and and like exploiting women and how it's wrong and I was like I was like is this coincidental <gasps> is she talking to me like did it's did, did was she just going to talk oh, about no. this anyways because I had seen this band play a lot and she had never brought up porn right. she would talk about you know rape you know domestic abuse you know very like sensitive uh, topics, you know, and being a survivor and, and, you know, stuff that was very like empowering to hear. But this was the first time I ever heard her basically blame a lot of those things on porn. Um, and it was very uncomfortable for me. I was like, is she talking to me? And the whole room is like looking at me, you know? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Also, it was 420 and there were vegan pop brownies that were made. So these moments were like exemplified, by, as, you know, as, as yeah. happens yeah. in such a time. Okay. Yeah. But maybe the wrong day to eat, <laughs> to eat like multiple pop brownies. Um, and, um, and I was like, what, what the hell's going on? And does she even like, no, she's in my basement. I don't think she even knew I lived there. Cause like I said, this was all, this was a basement. And my friend was kind of the one that whatever, that was weird. And then I just remember like walking through the party and everybody is like cornering me and they're just like, oh my God, like, are you in porn now? Like people literally asking me, I mean, this was a very like politically active, like punk scene that we were in, in New Jersey. Like, what do you think that porn is feminist? Do you think that porn is punk? Like, what does punk have to do with porn? And, and like, oh my God. So like, do you think that everybody's asking me all these questions about like feminism and porn and punk and, and like asking me what the porn industry is like, I'm like, I went in my room and took pictures. Like, I don't, I don't know what to, you know? And, um, <laughs> And I just remember, like, I remember trying to find Mitch, you know, because I and then I was like, I was like, what did we do? You know, I was like, I, and he was like, it's cool. It's cool. And he, I remember he was actually pretty fucked up from the party. <laughs> of course, he's the dude. So nobody's nobody's giving him shit about it. Mitch was also like, you know, just a very like kind of quiet person. So mm -hmm. people, I don't know. He was just kind of like, like laughing, like, oh, no, it's fine. Just chill. You know, and I was like, I can't chill right now. And I remember like going up to my room. I lived on the top, the top floor. It was like a four story house. And I just like, I like shut the door. I was like panicking. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? What did I do? Yeah. You know? And then I just kind of like realized I was like, well, this, whether I just did a good thing or a bad thing, this is a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I also came from many years or, you know, in, in college, I was very like, 
um, politically active, going to like protests, you know, being in part of the like vegan scene constantly, like trying to like get people to sign petitions and stuff. And a lot of times I'd be standing in the student union trying to get people to like sign petitions about actually very important world travesties, trying to like free political prisoners in different countries that weren't supposed to be there, like real big problems. And most of the time people just walk by you and didn't care. Um, you put a few naked pictures on the internet and everybody wants to stop and look at what you're doing and they care, you know? And I just kind of realized that pornography, which I barely could even call what I did at that moment, pornography was really powerful. Um, and I was like, yeah, I either need to take this website down and move and never speak of this again, (laughs) or I need to make this the most amazing, you know, thing that ever happened. And I need to really use this to make a difference i had two options then and and that was that it's kind of like from that moment like i never looked back and it was just nothing but like every single day of my life was like what can i do to make this thing bigger what can i do to make this thing better and uh and yeah and i had i had no shame in what i was doing and i knew that i did nothing wrong and i knew that as an awkward kind of sexual person trying to find themselves. I found a part of myself when I first took those photos awkwardly in the room with my best friend. Like I, I wanted to like explore that. And I knew that I could help other women or I don't even like to use the word help. It's like patronizing, like inspire other women who maybe were shy and strange to, to do the same thing and realize that you could be angry and you could be punk rock and you can be beautiful at the same time, you know? Like it's almost like my, in the punk scene, it was very like you were either a slut who sucked everyone's dick or you were uh, one of the boys. Yeah. And I think I couldn't really, it's like I wanted to be both, yeah. you know? I, wa- I really like wanted to like have fun. I was also like, you know, young and horny and attracted to all these, you know, a lot of people around me. But then I would have to like hide that, you know, be like, no, I'm not, you know, like I'm not like one of those girls. I'm like one of the, you know, so I kind of went back and forth from like, am I a slut or am I one of the dudes? And like, this was like, you can be both, you know, and like also just being that person, like I loved punk rock so much and I respect God, I was like the number one like cheerleader, not a groupie. Like if I wanted to have sex with someone in a band, it was because I was attracted to them and I respected them and I liked them. Not because like I was like a girl on the stage that like didn't know their music and wanted to fuck them. You know, Um, I was always cheerleading for men around me. That was my life, you know, being like, yes, I love this band, wearing their T-shirt, going to all their shows, traveling, taking my mom's shitty beat up Pontiac Bonneville and driving it from New Jersey to Michigan just to see a show that like 12 other people are at because I love this band so much and believed in them, you know, and, and like doing whatever I could to help the, the, the passion of the men around me. And, you know, at a certain point it was like, well, I want to be, I can be something too. And I very much knew deep down inside that I was like, well, all my friends and all these, you know, people that I've been supporting through all the years, they, they will support me too. Unfortunately, a lot of them didn't, but some of them did. Um, and uh, yeah, I never looked back from that moment. And um, I took it as far as I could go. <laughs> All right. So you have the night of reckoning. You know, the pop brownies have been eaten. The yeah. band has had their message. You've had the, the conversations. You're in your room and you're like, no, 
I'm going to take this path. I'm going to quadruple down on it. So from that night, when did it become like a real deal business business rather than just the project you and your best friend started? Um, I mean, I treated it like a real business every single day. Um, I'd say maybe like, when did you start making your living off of it? Right. I mean, that took several years, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which most people in the porn industry don't have people get into porn for quick money. Mm -hmm. This was very not quick, um, money, uh, um, so, I mean, it took a couple of years. Um, you know, I was also still trying to finish a couple school classes. I don't know. The next few years were like a whirlwind. And then at some point, um, I, there was another girl on the website that we shot, um, you know, that we took photos of and she worked as a stripper and she was talking about like how well she did, um, as a stripper. And I was like, oh my God. And not, be, you know, also just kind of made sense. So I started working as a stripper because I was able to work less and make more money and have money to put into Burning Angel and have more time to focus on Burning Angel. Um, so, yeah, I was doing that for a while. Then at a certain point, um, you know, I was like, hey, if we're going to if this is going to be a thing, we can't be like working in New Jersey, you know, because like I started to realize like we needed to be in like New York City. I wanted so I could do events and it just kind of seemed like there was like growth for Burning Angel in New York City. I was also like finishing school. I mean, fast forward, you know, we moved we moved to New York. Me and Mitch moved into a place together. We got uh, we wound up getting like a loft in um Williamsburg um and half the loft was like built out to be like a burning angel office um so yeah I guess when we actually started hiring you know and there was a while we had an employee and I was still going to work at night to be a stripper coming back and working in the burning angel office during the day oh it was like a crazy time you know but then um you know and I I was like thinking big and like burning angel was not exactly making a shitload of money so I was like supplementing things with my stripper money like that's how we built out the office and stuff like that um I think the real changing moment so yeah it started in New Jersey we moved to New York built out an office I'm still dancing um, but we have employees we actually managed to get because I knew when I was in college that you could get college credit for an intern. We had two interns. So we had one employee and like two interns like working in the office that was in the same loft. You know, we actually had like started to have like things going on. We had like update schedules. At some point, the New York Times caught wind of like, what the fuck is going on with this like girl in Brooklyn? Like running this porn site, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and um, and they did a story on me um, and Burning Angel. Um, and when it was happening, you know, the reporter came and they came to one of our shoots and they came to one of our parties and they, you know, and it didn't, you know, and the reporter was like a young guy who was close to my age, so it didn't feel intimidating when it was happening. Um, and also, um, he did the story and then I didn't hear from him. Also keep in mind, I was doing 10,000 things at that point in my life. I just remember getting a phone call and he was like from to the burning angel office. And they were like, we just want to let you know, like, uh, the article's coming out tomorrow. And they had like a few like fact checking questions to ask me. And I was like, okay, just didn't really think of it. Just kind of kept doing my thing. And I actually remember 
I finished my stripper shift at uh, 5 a.m., you know, because I was open till 4 a.m. and whatever. I remember walking out of the strip club at 5 o'clock in the morning and passing a newsstand, and the newspaper had just gotten on the newsstand. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. And then I opened up the paper, and there was just, like, a whole story about Burning Angel. And I just, like, I kind of started shaking. I was like, this is real now. I think that was, like, the first moment where I was like, this is real. And that day... Um, I think everyone I ever met in my entire life was calling me, you know, people in my family. And actually there were, you know, of course, a lot of people in my family, including my parents. I mean, my parents still, that's a whole other episode, you know, like my parents still loved me and did support me, but they were a little upset and confused by this decision. And there were other people in the family that didn't want to talk to me anymore. Weddings I couldn't go to. Um, caused weird stress between my dad and his own like family between my mom, you know, like they were like, like it was almost like other members of the family were mad at my parents for not like being more mad at me or something. <laughs> it caused a lot of stress. And then family members who I thought kind of disowned me were calling me to like, congratulate me. It's like the New York times, like sort of like, I was like, Hmm. I was like, I thought you guys didn't like this. You only like it because the New York times says it's okay. You know? Um, and, and numbers-wise, that was a giant jump. I actually remember the website crashed that day. We were not expecting this, you yeah. know, at all. I mean, yeah. a really good problem to have, but a problem we never had to deal with before. You know, Mitch was, like, on the phone, like, furiously with, like, our, like, you know, hosting company. We had to, like, pay for more hosting because, like, we had, you know, you pay, well, especially at that time, we were paying for, like, a certain amount of bandwidth that was based around the around the amount of traffic we were going to get, which was not a lot. Yeah. Um, and it was, it that was like a very big jump that particular day. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was the moment and that was the day. And also even after that, I was like, I need to really like, I can't have another job anymore. And you know, there was always that like, like, can I, you know, living in New York. And I was almost like, you know, I was, I was like that stripper money was a nice, uh, uh, cushion to have and also like a nice like resource to like have to fund things in the company that we couldn't really fund and I think from that point on I was like okay um this is it and I actually remember the next night going to work and like you know I don't even exactly remember what happened at work that night but I just like walked out and I was like I don't want to do this anymore. Um, my number one priority is like this website and, um, yeah. And that was that. Um, so, that, so I guess that had to be the moment where it was like, all right, this is like a business now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like what you said when, when I, when I said when to become a business, you're like, I always treated it like a business. I did and, always treat it like a business, but yeah. And I guess the way that I, the way that I would frame it up is like a business, the day you sell your first thing of whatever it is, you've got yeah. a business. Um, where I'm looking at it more is like, when did it become your income source? When did you start having employees? Because I want to follow yeah. back to that. But let's yeah. So I guess to... that was the moment. I can't remember what year the article came out. Oh, was it like 2005, 2006, something. 2005. I and think. you launched in Maybe 2002. Even... Yeah. So that that's actually like I think a pretty pretty good growth in that time. Like yeah. That, that to a me lot seems like happened those first few years. Like a lot. Yeah. You know. Well, I'd imagine a lot of it was also just like, what the hell are we doing? How do we figure it out? Yeah. So at what point did the greater industry 
become aware of you? And when they did, were they welcoming? Like, yeah, that's cool. Or were they like, who the hell are you? I mean, like everything, I just waltzed right in and I, I didn't, I didn't care what they thought, you know? Um, uh, you know, another kind of life changing event was the first time I went to, um, an AVN convention. Um, once again, found out about it, uh, a customer came into the strip club, um, and he worked at Vivid, you know, biggest porn company in the world at that time. Um, and I remember he was like here on business or something. And he, he was like, you know, just like a stripper, you know, giving him a lap dance. I'm like, so what do you do? Just what you ask everyone. He was like, oh, actually I work in the porn industry, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was like, what? You know? And then I just remember like stopping like stripper mode, you know, to like go into it. And I was like, wait. And I was like, I have a porn site. And he was so like confused like like you you just have this like website for fun like you know what yeah, i mean like yeah. like coming from someone who walked into an office with lots of employees in the you know that drove like a bentley well maybe it wasn't bentley, like a mercedes you know like a, like it, that worked around like the big money porn industry especially at that time was just like so like uh, confused and enamored with the fact that there was this girl in her apartment, you know, trying to like work on a porn site, um, with big dreams. Um, and I just started asking him questions, you know, um, and, uh, he told me, he's like, you should really go to AVN. And I was like, what's that? I had never heard of it. Didn't know anything about it. And then he was like, oh, it's this big like convention and there's this award show and like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I can get, I can get you a pass. You know, if you want, if you can get yourself to Vegas, I can like give you a free pass. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to go, you know, and I'm going to learn. And, um, and I think, I think, I don't remember what month that was in, but whatever, you know, I made the plans and, you know, got on a flight and, and, you know, me and Mitch actually went, we stayed at like a shitty hotel. Um, and actually, because this was kind of like an expensive trip, this is before I quit my job. I wound up like dancing at night at a strip club in Vegas, you know, to try to like kind of pay for the expenses, you know, of this. And, uh, we like walked around, you know, I wore like a little burning angel t-shirt and I just kind of like walked around seeing like if I could talk to anyone and everyone. And I was just like really blown away because I had never seen porn as like an industry, yeah. you know? Um, I saw like giant, you know, trailers, all the girls, the famous stars in their fancy outfits with their lines of people like waiting to get their autograph. And I was really like, I was like, like fell in love at that moment. I was like, okay. I was like, this is like where we need to be. And at that time we didn't have video yet on the website. We were just a website still with naked pictures. And um, we were kind of at that point starting to be known as like the, the bad the bad girl version of suicide girls. Cause we were like a little more, we were way less, way lower production value with dirtier pictures and just a janky, more janky website. We were like the punk rock. Yeah. They were like the commercial <laughs> punks and we were like the real punks almost, yeah. you know, that was sort of what was going on, but we were obviously um, starting to be compared to one another. Um, and I didn't like that because when I looked at suicide girls, I didn't feel like we had anything in common with them at all. And then when I was looking at these porno companies, I was like, this is who I want to be compared to and aligned with. Um, and so from that point on, I, you know, I just remember being like, and I remember seeing, I'm like, there's no tattooed girls here. You know, there's no punk rock girls here. Like I want to, you know, 
be here, but do it my way. And then that's what I'm going to do. And so that gave me just like, all right, the goal is to get here, you know? Um, and actually that year I, I had told the story when I, uh, won feature movie of the year, uh, uh, this year, um, the, the convention I had a, a badge to, cause that, you know, now knowing as a company who had many booths and badges, like that was, uh, you know, every company gets like, you know, it's not that hard to get an extra pass through a company or whatever. Um, but the award show was like exclusive, like invite only. It wasn't even open to fans um, back then. It became open to fans later. Um, so you couldn't even buy a ticket to it if you wanted to. And I just remember everybody talking about the award show on Saturday night and just like hearing people talk about it. And I was like, I need to go to this award show. I need to go to this award show. And I had no way of getting in. And the friend who got me the pass, he was like super busy and I didn't, you know, didn't want to bother him. He had done enough for me. I just kind of like walked around seeing if anyone needed a date to the award show and uh and somebody said yes it's kind of funny because it's a person i'm like you know friends with to this day and he's like you know well he actually I, I actually posted a photo from it that he had from that night anyway it was like a friend of a friend like i asked someone and he's like oh yeah i have a friend who has no one to go with so i was able to kind of go um, and like sit in the back, you know, because these were people that worked at studios. They weren't like performers. They weren't like on stage or part of the show. And I just remember being like so blown away. I had no idea there were awards for porn movies. And like it became my goal in life to just be able to get into the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was a very surreal moment when, you know, if I think the next year or two years later, I was like a presenter at the show and then. Many years later, in 2016, I was the host of the show and, you know, won a whole bunch of awards and stuff. Anyway, that was another kind of very big changing moment where I was like, we need to make porn movies. Like, enough with this bullshit where we're taking photos of girls and I'm getting all this shit and doing all this press and, like, I'm being alienated by family members and a lot of my friends won't talk to me anymore because I'm in the porn industry and I'm not even in the porn industry. I just, like, took naked pictures in my room, you know? Yeah. I'm like, let's, at this point, let's, like, make porn um so from that moment we started to make our first like dvd and that first dvd was called burningangel.com the movie it was like my great idea of like here's what happens when a website becomes a movie right. <laughs> i don't think anyone really ever got but we kept the sort of burning angel was very much known for ban interviews or what it was um it was ban interviews and photos of naked girls right and so this, I, I had band interviews and porn. And in the very, very first Burning Angel movie, My Chemical Romance was in it. And I did like an interview with them. You know, Lamb of God was in it. Uh, I think Kill Switch Engage was it. You know, I did a lot of interviews and some of them, because we didn't know what we were doing, didn't even turn out. And, and I remember we did one interview and the sound was off. And I can't, I'm really bad right now. I can't remember who made it to the final cut of the movie, but... I remember interviewing all these bands, um, you know, sick of it all. I did an interview with, I, th I don't think they made it to the movie. Cause I think that was the one where the sound wasn't working, whatever. I feel stupid right now. I can't remember, but I do. My chemical romance was in it. Um, which is so pretty wild, funny. It was so crazy. The, you know, also, these were friends of mine from right. Jersey. They're friends of yours from Jersey. Yeah. And you both went on to do huge things. Yeah. And that was also out by the, everything was happening simultaneously when the first movie came out that was kind of around the time when um the new york times article came out and everything was just sort of like 
starting to steamroll. Um, and uh, I think people were confused. Um, I just kind of stormed right in. I, I don't know. Um, I wound up pushing my way in to direct a movie for Hustler. But, you know, I, I made a splash. And um, porn responds to money very well. Um, and people saw that, like, there was money to be made in what I was doing. Um, porn is always trying to look for the next thing, whatever the next thing is. And honestly, people were... I had already made a bit of a name for myself. Um, I didn't have a ton of pushback because I already laid enough groundwork to like be someone. Also, I didn't need that much from the industry, you know, like I had my own company and my goal is to make my own company bigger. It's not like I was a, a solo girl trying to like get an agent and, you know, and, and get, you know what I mean? Like I didn't need all that much from people, which I think helped people welcome me too. I wasn't like competing with anyone. I wasn't really asking people for very much. Um, but I, I think people want to hear this story. Like when I first came to Porn Valley, I knocked on a bunch of doors and everyone said no, but like I had laid enough groundwork down so there wasn't many doors I really needed to knock on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I, I, like I said, I would, people already started to see me as an asset. Um, and I, people treated me uh, with respect and there were a lot of really wonderful people and they were even like older men that worked behind a desk. And I, I do remember, I mean, I could say the names of them, but nobody will know who they are. You know, like they served as like mentors to me. They told me what to do. They, you know, and granted these people were making a little bit of money off me because I was trying to get DVD distribution and this and that. And, and people were really helpful. And I have to say that like, I think the porn industry was very good to me and I know not everybody can say that, you know, um, uh, and, um, I had dipped my toes in other industries and I think that people were pretty shitty, you know, um, and I, I respect the fact that, uh, I really was in a position where I could have gotten eaten alive and, and a lot of people helped me, yeah. but part of the reason was the energy I was putting out there. I mean, I came in with a purpose and like I said, I, I was already going to be an asset to people. And the fact that I didn't need that much from other people definitely helped the way I was able to like approach these meetings. But I, I approached this just like I approached everything else, you know, in the early days when people tried to say it wasn't punk rock, I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. And what else, you know, like I, I didn't take no for an answer. I didn't have shame in what I was doing and I was very confident and I, I, uh, I didn't really have many issues getting the things that I wanted because the things that I wanted were already going to you know, getting a distro deal, like they're not, they don't have to put up any money, you know, like they have no, nothing to lose and it's exciting and new for them. And I already had a name and I already had some PR behind me. So it was just like a win-win situation for yeah. everyone. All right. So I know in there and we'll, yeah. uh, I want to, I want to jump to the, to selling Burning Angel. Yeah. So, <laughs> 20 years later. Well, but yeah. that's the story, right? So yeah. like, I know there's a move to California, you scale yeah. up the business, you have real deal, like you've got employees, you've got like it's it's a business at this a point, business. like a true business. A business for many, many years. And you know, business. we went from like it took a year to put out our first movie and then we signed a distro deal where we had to make two movies a month for right. many years, you know, and uh things that were really difficult started to become 
clockwork, you know, there were schedules that we had to adhere to. There were other people depending on us. There were cable deals and, you know, a business. And of course, coming along with business, you know, lawsuits and (laughs) permit issues and fighting the city of California. You know, that's a whole other, you know, bullshit of business started to come in, the good and the bad and money managing and taxes and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, but all of it is, it's, it's part of the story of you get to the point where you've scaled up and you face the choice that a lot of people face, which is, do I sell or do I keep doing my own thing? Or maybe even do I just shut it down? So when you got to the point where you decided to sell Burning Angel, what were the factors that led you there? And tell us about make actually making the decision. Um, Well, um, you know, I think in the very beginning of Burning Angel, I was very like obsessed with like, like there wasn't much to run. There wasn't much to direct or produce. There was because like we weren't doing very much like, so it was like very important to me to like get the brand out there. And I guess I had a dream of like a very giant office of people where I was coming in every day and being like, you do this and you do this. And now we're going to do this. And, you know, like I wanted us to be like, like I would go into the vivid office sometimes, um, for meetings or, you know, whatever. I had a radio show there for a hot minute. Um, and I'd be like, this is what I want. I want us to be like the vivid office, like next door, but it's gonna be like burning angel. And there's gonna be like anarchy signs on the wall instead of like clouds and stuff. (laughs) I don't know. That was my dream. And that dream started to shift after I became very involved with the production of burning angel. I sort of like found my home of what I cared about, um, you know, working on the scripts, working on the movies, directing the movies, casting the talent, working with the makeup artists, you know, the locations and, and like sort of just putting together the movies and getting excited about the release of them and working with the editor and working, you know, just sort of like really being involved in um, production. Sometimes the like day to day, like businessy things, you know, the meetings I had to go to and and just, you know, um the wheeling and dealing, so to speak, the stuff that used to get me excited when something landed, like, yes, we did it. Oh, look, we got one. Like was not getting me excited anymore. It was actually getting tedious, you know? And, um, I was starting to get almost like, you know, kind of jealous of my other friends that were like directors that weren't putting up their own money for the movies. Like I had to, you know, like it was, it was becoming like a lot and stressful. It's like, I'd get so excited about this project that I just finished and made. And then I had to, deal with like stressing um, of how to recoup the money that you just put out for that project. You know what I mean? And I was like, I want to just focus on the, you know, I started to realize all the things I loved about what I was doing. Um, I did not need to own the business to do anymore. You know, it had been 20 years. I had changed a lot as a person. Um, And, um, you know, also like, Every single dollar I made was like kind of going back into the business. And I'm not saying I was living like, you know, terribly. I was fortunate. You know, I'm living in an apartment, you know, like or like when I did live in like a slightly nicer house, I had to use that as a business expense. So we were shooting in the house. There was like never a moment of like privacy. You know, my life was just like this 24 seven phone could never turn off. I missed family weddings, family vacations, you know. Um, it affected like a lot of friendships and relationships in life, which didn't bother me for, you know, 17 of the 20 years. But like at a certain point, it was like, it would be nice to actually, 
you know, uh, not be working 24 seven. I mean, that's what you do when you own a business. And, and I was like, and I think I can do the things I want to do without owning this. And, you know, and, and, you know, part of me was like, I'm not a, a mogul, you know, I'm not like a Mark Cuban. I'm not like a, a money driven like person. And, um, I don't know. And, and, um, I want, I knew I wanted to sell, uh, how to make that happen. You know, it's, I didn't really know. So I kind of just like put like feelers out there and, um, um, and then an offer did come. It happened to come from like at a certain point we could not handle the web. Like I said, the, when the website crashed and the New York Times, that, that there were many more crashes that came after that. Um, I remember our old programmer, um, basically said at some point that your web code is like a taped together with a bunch of band-aids and like soon it's going to fall apart. You know, it's almost like we didn't really have the money to like make, you know, that technology was like advancing really fast too. I mean, we went from like people waiting 10 minutes to download one photo to like a few years later, it was like, if you had to wait five seconds to, for a video to buffer, people are just going to cancel their memberships. And it's like, we couldn't keep up. And we stopped doing the web uh, developing in-house and, you know, another company kind of took that on. And that other company was a big company. And so um, they were the ones that did the purchase of the company. And it made sense. I mean, they were already, they already had their hands in it anyway. Um, you know, so it just kind of went from them uh, doing the web developing design credit card processing to them just kind of owning the brand. So, and, you know, they gave me uh, an offer one day when I sort of like, put it out there. Um, I really, I think I put it out there, not really thinking anyone would bite, you know? Um, and then they did. Um, and, uh, when they gave me an offer, you know, at first I was like, no, because you know, it, it was hard. And, and of course all your, all my friends that never ran a business were like, don't take it. That's your passion. <laughs> That's your, that's your baby. You should never don't sell it, you know, but any one of my friends that did sell a business and particularly the other um, peers that I had that sold businesses in the adult industry. And actually I would get, I got some inside info um, knowing what other companies sold for. And I particularly remember um, from a very reliable source, um, a reliable source is the person who worked for, bought another company. He told me, confidentially what he purchased that company for. Um, and they were a much bigger company than Burning Angel. And what he purchased that said company for was pretty close to the amount that I was getting um, offered at that moment. And that was just kind of a moment where I was like, we're not going to get a better offer than this. Yeah. This, um, uh, We're not going to get a better offer than this. And if I say no to this, they're not going to come back. Um, and um, what... I did not want the end of my story to be that we went out of business. I didn't want um, the end of the story to be, um, yeah, that we had to like go from being like, you know, I always presented us as much bigger than we were. Um, and that was getting harder and harder to do as like free porn became a thing. And, and like, I just kind of, I, it's almost like I did as much as I could do on my own and I needed some help, you know? Um, I was getting kind of tired and, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I just knew if I turn this down, this is not going to come back. And, um, and, uh, and there's burning angel has reached its point. It can't go up. The best it could do is stay the same, but realistically it could go down and I, I didn't want to see us go down. Um, so yeah, so I took the offer. Um, and it was, a 
it was a tough moment. Um, part of me, you know, I felt like <laughs> I don't talk about this. I felt like a part of me died, you know? Like I felt like it was hard. Like it was like you know, for 20 years, this wasn't just my, oh, wow, I never talk about it. <laughs> for 20 years, this wasn't just my um, business or my job. It was, it was my life. It was my entire persona. It was my personality, you know, it was everything. And, um, and I didn't want to be a sellout. <laughs> Nobody likes to sell out. Right. Um, and no one felt bad for me because <laughs> I just made so much money. <laughs> oh, poor you. You, you no just one, did so well for No yourself. one felt bad for me at all. So not even my therapist. <laughs> so it was really hard. I needed to... <laughs> and you know, I had, I had to, you know, uh, I had to, you know, let go of a, of a girl that was working for me. And she wasn't happy about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, and it was weird, you know. It was like really, really weird. And I, I, I think I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know who I was. I was Joanna Angel, you know. Like I was Joanna who owned a business. It was part of my. Um, yeah, and uh, I went through, you know, I went through a year of, like, feeling just so um, depressed and empty, and it really didn't help the fact that a lot of things were um, promised to me in the sale of the amount of control I would have um, over the company. Because as part of the sale, I got a deal um, to stay on as a director um, without ownership, you know, um, for two years with, you know, with a salary and stuff. And that excited me so much. Um, like I said, I thought it would be a dream to be able to direct without worrying about the finances, but they, you know, look, if I ever had to give someone advice on selling a business, like, I think that's the deal everyone wants. And like, I wish I would have just cut it off, you know, because working for the company and, and, it not being my own and, and the way they like kind of, you know, molested it. And, and, and like, you know, I, I was sort of like, you know, lied to about how much involvement I would have or, you know, the corporate, the corporate lie where they're lying, but they're not lying. They leave out certain words and, you know, um, and I felt like the rug was sort of pulled out underneath me. And like the first time like marketing materials went out that, you know, were worded in a way I would have never worded them and presented in a way I would have never presented them. And it was, it was like a nails on a chalkboard to me. And I, you know, I'd be like, Hey, Hey, like, can you change this? Can you do this? And nobody would answer me or they'd give me the runaround of like, Oh, you have to talk to this person. You have to talk to this person. Oh, you know, and like, you know, kind of like, like, this isn't your job anymore. But like, I didn't really know that it wasn't like spelled out to me. Um, and the conversations I had before the company sale, like really made me feel like I was going to, you know, I felt like I was going to be really involved and maybe I just heard what I wanted to hear. Um, because I do remember a, when a lawyer looked over the contract, they were like, Hey, just so you know, we like in here, like you really have like no 
creative control anymore. Like they could, you know, whatever. I was like, oh, but you know, they just have to say that, you know, like I, I didn't even, you know, believe that also like, that was like kind of the least important part of the contract, like the money and the negotiating of the sale was kind of the bigger issue. And anyway, um, and also I didn't realize that actually as part of this directing deal, which was not told to me at all, I thought I was going to be just like directing for burning angel full time, but it turned out I was actually directing for the company who bought us their other studios. Um, they were having me direct for them because they were cutting down the production of burning angel and it, um, severely, um, whatever. Anyway, it was very weird for me to go from feeling like a very powerful, you know, creative mogul to somebody who got emailed a script of porn that was very stupid and not creative and devoid of anything interesting and like forced to just hand that in and make it happen. Um, which was not at all what I thought my job was going to be. Um, and it made me feel like very empty um, inside. Um, but whatever. At a certain point, I, I swallowed it and I just kind of looked at it like this is my nine to five job and it's cooler than most other people's nine to five jobs. And I kind of wrote it out. And, um, and I told myself in these two years of this deal where I have this other job, where I have this porn directing job, I need to find um, what I do next because this is it. This is this by the end of these two years, it's like I've almost overstayed my welcome in this industry now by two years. It's like I the party was over and I was still there. Um, so it became my goal to find something. Um, and it only made sense for me to find something outside the industry. I mean, how do you go from like what I was doing to like another job in the, you know? Um, and that was very, very hard to find, you know? People don't in the world don't take porn directors, producers, writers, you know, they don't take porn people seriously. They think it's a joke, you know? Um, and, uh, I give so much, uh, credit and, and respect and, uh, very thankful because, um, I took a shot in the dark and I applied for a job at liquid death and they, and they took me seriously and I made a resume of my skills and it was like a really great moment. I was like, look at all the things I've learned in the past 20 years. I've learned so much about marketing. I've learned so much about branding. I've learned so much about production. I've learned about writing, you know, all the things I've had access to do for my journalism, from interviewing bands, you know, and all the like articles I've written as a writer and, um, you know, porn has led me to do so many different things. Um, and, um, and they took all those skills, uh, really seriously. And, um, and then, you know, and took a chance on me. Um, and like, I'm really proud of everything I did, but <laughs> I never want to own a business again. Okay. So as we're, as we're closing off, I'm going to ask you three questions. Wow. I can't believe I really never like. Got... <laughs> All right. Three questions. Um, they're going to get harder and harder and harder. Okay. Okay. Here we go. And they're going to be tight questions because yeah. they're, they're, they're very focused questions. <laughs> three best, your favorite. They don't have to be the best historically, oh but your three favorite punk bands from New Jersey historically. Oh my God. 
From New Jersey. From New Jersey from specific. New Jersey. And they, they, do you want to do Eastern Seaboard or do you want to do New, New Jersey? From New Jersey. Can you, does New York count as, okay, well, the Bouncing Souls. Okay. I'm going to give the Bouncing Souls. Shout out to the Bouncing Shout Souls. Shout out to the Bouncing Souls. Um, Okay, from New Jersey. Oh my God, I feel okay. Um, you know what? I'm gonna give a shout out to um, my ex boyfriend's band because they really were my favorite band, and because I love the band so much, is why I decided that the drummer should be the person I lost my virginity to. And I really love them, but you know they're not a band anymore. But they were called Worthless United, and Worth- I really thought they were like the best band from New Jersey shout in the whole out world. To Worthless United. Shout out to Worthless United. Mm-hmm. You were my favorite band. You know, and um, and that's that. And you guys, you know, I really loved seeing you guys. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'll say, oh wait, the Misfits. The Misfits are from New Jersey. The Misfits. I forgot. The Misfits are from Lodi, New Jersey. Oh, I was getting nervous there. Yeah, the Misfits are from New Jersey. You kind of forget that they're from New Jersey, they're, they're but they were from- not. I, it's like I had two lives in New Jersey. Yeah. Like in high school, it was part of the northern New Jersey scene, and the New Brunt, the New Brunswick scene was like a very big, you know, burgeoning yes um, scene on its own. But, okay. All right. Shout out to the Misfits. And, you know, we have to give a special shout out to Craig from Example Twenty Four. I can't. You know, I can't think of any. Uh, I can't actually remember any of the songs, but I remember the logo really clearly. Yeah. You know, Craig, um, we don't know where you are, but we you don't always, know where you are. And you if there is list. an Example Twenty Four Seven Inch sitting around somewhere, maybe like in the used bin at Generation Records. I don't know. I'm gonna get it, but we have to it. get it because Example it was 24. it was the bridge that uh that I needed to get right. into punk rock. Okay. Question number two. Ooh, this that will was be, a hard one. This will be easier, but okay. still still pretty hard. Okay. Anything you want to hype up, and where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram, mm-hmm. just at Joanna Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you can find me. Hype up. Um, you know, I go on Amazon, buy my books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're available. They're there. Uh, I would suggest buy Club 42 on Amazon by me <laughs> and um, buy Liquid Death. And um, yeah. All right. And then again, shout out to Sticks, the dude. We love shout you. Shout out to Sticks. You're Thank you, Sticks. Impeccable choice of hats. Who may or may not have called me and been like, where are you? That's like two hours. So you should tell me, my All boss. Right. Final question. Mm-hmm. And it's the first one we started with. After two hours of talking, I want to give you a, uh, you can, you can hit it again. You can say the exact same thing. You can go somewhere else. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, that's really beautiful. <laughs> I just, I'm Joanna Angel. That's it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is a really cool interview and I feel like we could talk for another two hours and yeah. maybe we'll, maybe we'll meet hey, up maybe again. Maybe we'll meet up again. Yeah. All right, everyone, we will see you in the outro and Spencer drop the beat. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you again, Joanna. And for anyone listening, one of the things I'd encourage you here is Whatever business you decide to start or whatever you want to explore as being a career or an artistic or creative outlet or just anything that you're excited or passionate about, there's gatekeepers, there's people who've been doing it, there's people who seemingly hold the reins. And that's true, like there are people that do that, but also everything is disrupted by people just deciding to do it. And Joanna is a great example of that. So whatever industry you're in, if you want to do something and make it happen, the best way to start is just to start. Go for it, get your friends, make something happen, and you'll be surprised at where it ends up. 
So with that, I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. One Step One.